Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd like to just reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. Well, our senior minister, Doc Pattison, is continuing our Rooted series, where we're exploring how to become more rooted in our faith. We're focusing this week on trusting God with everything that we have, and that includes our finances. We don't talk about money very often here at Cap City, but it's something that God specifically speaks to us about, and it's something that we're looking at as one of the only times that God actually gives us a challenge to test Him. Well, let's dive on in and get started. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, so often when we come into this place, we're so distracted. Our minds wander to a thousand different things. You've called us into this place for a short time just to focus on you, to listen to you, to feel for your nudges, to recommit ourselves as Jesus followers. For this opportunity to be here, we give you thanks. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. It was a year ago, last August, and I preached a series that we called God's Double Dog Dare. And I had actually debated for months whether I was going to preach the series or not. Finally decided it was probably the right thing to do. I even took it to the elders. I don't usually do that. But they debated whether I should preach it or not. And they finally decided to give me the go-ahead. It was a series on giving, but a little different, giving our first part back to God. Now, if you guys have been around Capital City for any length of time, you realize that I hate preaching on money because way too many people think that's what churches are all about. They're after your money. And guys, I didn't decide to preach the series because we needed the money. We were actually having a pretty good year financially. It was August end of the leanest time of the year, and we were still right on budget. And I didn't decide to preach the series because we wanted to buy something. We weren't trying to add a staff member or add property or raise extra money to pay down debt or anything like that. I preached the series because every single one of us struggles with idols. With idols. I'm not talking about icons and figurines and fetishes. I'm talking about someone or something that we put in God's place. We do that all the time. And money is one of the most seductive of our idols. Every one of us, every single one of us worships something or someone. Every one of us lives for something or someone. There's something we sacrifice for. Something we consistently put first. Something that gives us purpose. Sometimes value. And even for us Jesus followers, way too often, it is not God. It's supposed to be but it's not really. And the truth is, if you start examining yourself and those around you begin to realize we tend to put a lot of things in God's place. And right near the top of the list for a whole lot of us is money. And I understand that, you know, we kind of get squirrely, wary, defensive whenever someone threatens something we love. I mean, if you talk about my wife, and I'll probably get squirrely and wary. 
criticize my kids, grandkids, we'll have issues. Someone attacks your family or your alma mater, your favorite team, your favorite whatever, and you're going to get defensive. And that's because we get defensive when someone attacks things we love. And the fact is, guys, we love our money. So when some preacher starts talking about money, we get defensive. And some of you guys may be pushing back a little bit. You're thinking, I, I don't think I love money, right? I, I'm not prone to that idol. Because uh, a lot of times our idolatry of money hides behind stuff. Maybe for you it's not money. Maybe for you it's the stuff that money can buy. Clothes, shoes, sports stuff, cool cars, bigger houses, electronics, the newer the better the slicker. Guys, the idolatry of stuff is just a deceptive morph of the idolatry of money. And a lot of times we love stuff more than we love God, right? And that counts too. And so because it is such a seductive idol... The Bible talks about money a lot. In fact, it kind of punches us in the face a lot. Because at all times, everywhere, people have often been tempted to live more for money than they are for God. But my reluctance to preach this series actually went deeper than that. See, I'm not afraid to lay down God's challenges just because they punch us in the face. That wasn't it. See, I was going to unpack a couple of verses, a couple of ideas that I knew could easily be misinterpreted. The ideas that I wanted to teach, I believed were biblically sound and they were God-honoring. But I also knew that they were very, very easily misunderstood. Because it might sound to a lot of people in this room like I was endorsing some kind of a prosperity gospel. Some kind of a health wealth gospel. Some kind of a scam to get your money by convincing you that by giving your money, God was going to give you even more back. It's not it. Listen, guys, our goal as a church, we've got a very clear mission as a church. Our goal as a church is to bring people face-to-face with Jesus and then to grow them up into fully mature, Christ-driven, 24-7 Jesus followers. That's why we're here. We take that extremely seriously. We believe that's what every single man, every single woman, every single child was made for. You were made to do life with God, for God, God's way. Do you believe that? You see, it matters. We think real life starts when we do life with God, when we give our lives back to God. But the journey from just starting in that Jesus following, to fully mature as Jesus followers, Christ driven 24-7, it's going to take a lifetime of trust building. We have to grow in our faith with God, learning to lean on God, learning to trust in God. And if you don't learn to trust Him, your life is going to be little. Your life's going to be unsatisfying. Because you're not going to live the kind of life that God built you for. Listen. A faith journey, a trust journey, requires getting out of your comfort zones from time to time. That's what trust is all about. You're going to have to learn to be willing to go places and do things where faith and trust are actually required. Guys, if we never try anything that we can't already handle, we'll never become any more than who we already are. And we won't make it to Christ driven 24-7. And bottom line, we'll lose. Will lose because whether you understand it completely or not, it's who you want to be, it's the way you want to live. 
So one year ago, August, we laid our faith challenge, a trust challenge, dealing with one of those things that it is hardest for us to trust God, our money. And we didn't believe that it was a challenge that we dreamed up. This wasn't something that John and I got together and said, what if we try this? See, there's a place where God actually says, and this is weird if you really understand the Bible, where God actually says, test me. Test me. What he's really saying is, trust me. He says, I want to, you to give the way that I challenge you to give. I want you to trust me in what may be the toughest part of your life to trust me in and see if I don't take care of you. See if I don't bless you. We called it God's double dog dare. And it comes from the last book of the Old Testament, a little tiny book called Malachi. The text I'm going to focus on is in chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Here goes. Malachi starts with this question. Should people cheat God? Should people cheat God? And if you're going to translate it more literally, it says something like, should mere mortals, people like us, mortals, should we rob God? Should we? That's just kind of a no-brainer answer to that question, isn't it? And yet, here's how God responds. But you have. But you've cheated me. And this is serious stuff, guys. This is a serious charge. Robbing, thieving, stealing. These are Ten Commandment things. And this isn't about robbing some twit. This is about mere mortals like us actually robbing or cheating our creator. And this isn't some narrow-minded religious bigot accusing people he despises of disrespecting God. This is God talking to his people. That's what God thinks we do sometimes. That's what God thinks I have done. That's what God thinks you have done sometimes. <laughs> and it's such a serious charge that the people that Malachi is talking to immediately go on defense. What do you mean? When did we ever cheat God? When did we ever cheat you, God? I mean, I may have cheated a few of my neighbors a little. But when have I ever cheated God? And here's how he answers. He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that are due to me. He says, you cheat me, you rob me when you refuse to give the first part back of what I have entrusted to you. It's when you keep back for yourself what I have told you to give back to me. Hmm. <clears throat> Verse 9. Because of your cheating, God says, you're under a curse. Because your whole nation's been doing it. Now listen, I need to make something pretty clear because this is assuming a couple of things that you don't always understand, that we don't always agree with. This is God's perspective. You see, we think it's our money. We think it's our stuff. It's all ours. It's mine. And if I choose to give some of what is mine back to God, aren't I special? What we misunderstand from God's perspective is, he says, oh, it's all mine. It's all mine. I entrust it to you. It's still mine. Everything that we have is on loan from God. He provides us with amazing resources for us to use. As long as we never forget, it's still his. And as long as we use it in a God-honoring way. 
And to remind us of that reality, to remind us of that truth, he says, give me the first part back. And why not? And what do you have that God hasn't given you? He made you. He made you to be able to do whatever you can do. He provides you the opportunities, the skills you need. There is nothing good that you can do that God hasn't given to you. What God is telling him is this. I have entrusted these blessings to you. It ultimately is from me. And you're not responding appropriately. You're not remembering the role that I play in all of this. And so, for a time, very, very, very lovingly, I've got to punch you in the face. I'm going to withdraw my blessings from you for a time. <laughs> so here's what he says next. This is verse 10. God says, bring it all. Bring the full tithe. Bring the full tithe. In the Old Testament, that's 10%. That's literally what tithe means. Bring your 10% to the temple treasury. So there's going to be ample provisions in my temple. And here's where he says it. This is so weird. Because all through the Bible, God is not happy when people try to test him. But God actually says, test me in this. Test me in this. See if I don't open heaven itself to you and pour out the blessings beyond your wildest dreams. This is the only place in the Bible where God flat out says, test me. The only place. Ordinarily, we are not supposed to test God. And what he's telling us here is this. You do it my way and watch and see what happens. Do you trust him? Remember, this is a trust journey. Growing as a Jesus follower is learning to trust him. Now, I need to slow down here for just a minute and pay real close attention to what the Bible really is saying and what it really is not saying because there are some teachers and preachers who have used these verses to lead God's people to some places that are not good. God is not telling us to give in order to get. It's not what he is saying. This is not about saying give a little bit of money to God so God will give you a whole lot more back. Giving to get is giving to try to leverage God. That's just going to feed your greed. Greed is a sin. And when people read these verses that way, we try to use God to serve us. And that just tightens the grip that greed has on us. Listen, guys, this is really, really big. If we love God, we will use money. It's his gift. If we love money, we will use God. Then it becomes an idol. We've got to choose. You ever done it? You ever tried using God for money? I'm serious. Sometimes a lot of Christians treat God kind of like a pinata, that great pinata in the sky. I get a stick called giving and I whack at God until he spills his blessings out. That's not worship. It's not treating God as God. He is saying, you do the God-honoring thing, even when it's scary, and you've got to trust me to take care of you. And then you're going to discover when you take that step of faith that we have an amazingly beneficent God. Now, if this passage in Malachi were the only place in the Bible where God says something like this, I might actually be tempted to brush it off. Because we're not under the Old Testament, we're under the New Testament. 
These verses are more about God speaking to Israel than God speaking to the church. We don't have a temple anymore. And we Jesus followers are not under the law of the tithe. I'll go back into that in just a couple of minutes. But the truth is, this big idea, this principle is reinforced both by the Apostle Paul and even by Jesus himself. Here's the Apostle Paul. Here's how he puts exactly the same idea. And this time he's speaking directly to us Jesus followers. Paul says this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. He's not talking about seed. Right? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Not under a rule, not under some kind of a law of the tithe. You've got to make a call on how much you're going to give. Stingy, generous. Now, there's no tithe rule in the New Testament. Tithe simply means 10%. I think it's probably a pretty good starting point. But way too many Jesus followers use the tithe as a ceiling for their giving. So a lot of people think if I reach the tithe 10%, I've more than satisfied God's requirements, and I don't have to be generous with any more than that. The New Testament principle is give as you prosper. I know a lot of pastors disagree with me on this, but I actually think that for some, 10% may actually be too much, and for others, 10% may actually be too little. And then Paul says this. He says, don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you, what's that word? Need. It's not want, is it? And God will generously provide all that you need. And then you'll always have everything you need. And you'll also have plenty to share with others. Because one of the big ideas in the New Testament is that one of the reasons that God is so beneficent with us, that he bestows so many blessings upon us, is that he wants us to share in generosity. Because it makes life rich. It makes life better. Give generously. And watch how God takes care of you. And watch how God blesses you. You may not always have everything that you want. But you will have everything from God that you need. And you will taste joy which is way better than stuff because God can be trusted. Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to do it? And here's the coup de grace because here's exactly the same principle, the same big idea from the lips of Jesus, God himself. Jesus puts it like this. He says, give and you'll receive. Give and you'll receive. And your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring out into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you give back. That's Jesus speaking. God in the flesh. Do you trust him? (laughs) Now listen. As I told you, this is not some kind of a quid pro quo scam. This is not, I'm going to scratch God's back so he'll scratch mine even more. This is God saying, trust me. Trust me, I dare you, I double dog dare you. You give your first part back to me and I'm going to bless you. And guys, you'll discover that it is way, way better to live a God-centered life than a self-centered one. Your life will be bigger and richer. It is better to do life recognizing that we have been blessed by God and partly just so we can give back. 
In fact, there's a sense in which God lets us choose how he want, how we want him to treat us. We give our first part back and we're generous. And watch how God is beneficent. Guys, that's the principle. We're Jesus followers. As Jesus followers, we give our first part back to God and we give generously. And we trust that God will take care of us and he'll bless us. Maybe not in the ways that we want, maybe not in the ways that we expect, but our God will bless us. In fact, we are blessed by God to bless others. And we are blessed by God when we bless others. Do you believe that stuff? Do you believe it enough to do it? Now, last year when I went through all this material, I worked hard on clarifying three things. I'm going to just run over them just real rapidly. Thing one, I do not believe that tithing is commanded for New Testament Christians. I know a lot of pastors will disagree with me on that. Giving is commanded. Tithing is not. Tithing is a law rule 10%. I think it's a good guidepost. It may be a good starting point. But the New Testament uses a different principle. God still wants us to give our first part back and he tells us to be generous. He tells us even to be sacrificial. But in the New Testament it is give as you may prosper. That is repeated. Give as you may prosper. In other words, the more God gives, the more we can give back because that's part of the fun. And so here at Capital City we talk about progressive percentage priority giving. Progressive percentage priority giving. We believe it's progressive. You know, those who have less are God-honoring, just as God-honoring, sometimes even more God-honoring when they give less. Those who are more are responsible before God to give more because we give as we may prosper. And we believe that you ought to pick a percentage, not a number, a percentage. Their tithe was 10%. And it may be a good starting point. But we think you should pick a God-honoring percentage. And as God blesses you more, the percentage goes up, not the number. It's progressive percentage priority, which means it's the first part. The first part. We always talk here about giving our first part back to God. You see, God gets the first part. That is priority giving. He never gets seconds. He never gets leftovers. First check goes to him. Because he's our God. And we recognize that it's all his anyway. And we obey him. That's thing one. We give as we prosper. Progressive percentage priority giving. Here's thing two. I know that the church is not the temple. It's not the same thing as the temple. But we believe that it is still God honoring to give at least a major portion of your giving to the church. Because that's how they did it in the early church. That's the model given to us in the New Testament. In the early church, Christians took care of each other through the church. In the early church, Christians pulled their resources to do the work of the church, the work that God has called us to do. I believe, I know that it is God honoring to, to direct some of your giving outside the church. Perfectly legitimate, New Testament based. But guys, if you consider Capital City your home, if you do, or some other church, you're home, you're in this with a group of Christians. We're in it together. And if you're part of a family, even a church family, you have a responsibility to help take care of the church family. 
and the church is, as more of us are God-honoring in our giving, the better we're going to be able to take care of family, and the better we're going to be able to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. Here's thing three. When we give, we're blessed. That's God's double dog dare. But God's blessings are not always financial. They're not always financial. This is not like treating God like a cosmic ATM. This is not a promise that if you drop in 10% that you're going to get a dividend check from God for 20%. If your motive for giving is to get back more, you're going to be feeding your greed. This is not a Ponzi scheme. This is about learning to trust our God, to obey our God. Do you believe that? And some of the blessings are way, way, way richer than money. You believe that. What would you give for happiness? What would you give for peace with God? What would you give to have a sense that your life is well lived, well lived, that it's worth something? What would you give to see someone that you dearly love come face to face with God? There are things way more precious to us than money. Guys, this series that we've been in for the last several weeks, we're going to wrap it up next week, is called Rooted. And this whole series is about how to dig down deep roots as a Jesus follower so that you grow strong and you grow tall. It's about what we're calling faith catalysts. What are the things that we do to grow faith? What are the things that make us stronger Jesus followers? This is a journey that we're making to Christ-driven 24-7. It's a trust journey. And the trust journey requires that sometimes we step out of our comfort zones. And I'm telling you, there's very little that takes us out of our comfort zones more quickly than our money. It's one of the most powerful of the faith catalysts. So one year ago in August, we laid down a challenge. We laid down a double dog dare. We think it's God's challenge. It's not something we made up. We challenge you to try it out, to test him. We challenge you to try it out for 90 days, three months. We knew that some of you guys who are Jesus followers have never, ever really tried giving your first part back to God. We also knew it would be scary to do that. We never have quite enough, it seems. So we ask you to tell us what amount that you planned on giving back to God, and we promise that if after 90 days you think the experiment, the test was a mistake, we would give you your money back. But you had to tell us how much you planned to give, and you had to give it in a way that we could track it, because <laughs> I didn't want anyone coming up to us and say, I really want my 50 grand back. One <laughs> I hadn't given much of anything. <laughs> Scam wasn't going to work. There were others in the room, Jesus followers, who occasionally gave an offering to God, but it was not part of the rhythm of your life with God, and sometimes what you were giving him were seconds and leftovers, and our God doesn't deserve that. So we challenge you to step it up. And we knew the challenge would be scary for you too, because all of us live on thin margins. And so we offered you the same safety net. We told you that if you stepped out and gave the way that you thought God was nudging you, and if after 90 days you think it was a mistake, test him. If you think it was a mistake, we promise to give your money back. But again, you had to tell us how much you plan to give over and above what you're giving now. And you had to give it in a way that we can track it. 
And then there were some of us who already did give our first part back to God on a regular basis. The challenge to guys like me was to step it up because a lot of us drift into cruise control, which we had. Julie and I were on cruise control. We had our giving set up on our online bill pay and the same checks had been going out week after week after week, year after year, for years. And it was time for us to really take assessment and say, are we giving as generously as God wants us to? And there were others in the church that were like us and we asked you guys to take stock and to give more generously if that's where God nudged you. And we offered exactly the same safety net. Tell us exactly how much you're committing to give over and above what you're giving now. Give it in a way that we can track it. And if at the end of 90 days you think it was a mistake, this test was a failure, we'll give your money back. Let me tell you what happened. Last year when we laid down this challenge in August, 144 people in this church family turned in cards. That was so cool. It was amazing. And we know a lot of people took the challenge and didn't turn in cards. They still took the challenge from God. We know of those 144 cards, 53 of the people, we considered new givers, which means we never had any record of them giving here at Capital City. They may have given somewhere else, but we just didn't have any record of that here. They'd never really given their first part back to God on any kind of a regular basis. Here's what happened financially. When we issued the challenge at the end of August, we were on budget. I'm telling you, this was not a fundraiser. We weren't trying to raise money for anything. We we're just challenging you to do life with God, for God, God's way. This is part of being a Jesus follower. When we finished the year, however, our giving exceeded our budget by 22%. It was incredible. Your generosity, your response to the nudges of God was stunning. It blew our minds. It's still going on. We increased our budget a little going into 2018, pretty conservatively. And right now we're at the end of the summer, and I'm telling you summer is always the leanest time of a church's budget, and right now we have never missed making our budget in any month, and we're 14% over our budget and our giving for the year. Absolutely incredible. And because of that, we've been able to be incredibly generous. People way beyond Capital City have prospered because of your faithfulness to God's nudges. And we've been able to be way more aggressive in ministry than any time since I have been here at Capital City in a whole bunch of ways. In addition to that, right now we're close to finalizing a deal to purchase two acres behind the church. It's not why we did the campaign. We didn't even know that the acres were going to come open to us. We desperately need the land because this church is growing. Believe it or not, we had 970 people in church last Sunday. It was incredible. And here's the deal. If we can close the deal on that land, we're going to be able to pay cash. No debt. It's pretty incredible. But I'm telling you guys, the challenge was not about fixing the budget. It was not about purchasing some land. We didn't even know that land was going to come available. It was a trust challenge. It was a growth challenge. I was trying to challenge all of us as Jesus followers to step up and be obedient to our God. It was about learning to do life with God, for God, God's way. And a whole bunch of people started coming up to me and telling me about how God was blessing you, sometimes financially, sometimes otherwise. And a whole bunch of people came up with big smiles on their face telling me about how they felt God's pleasure. You stepped out on faith. You trusted him. 
And God kept his promises. Because <laughs> that's what God does. That's what it's about. You see, we believe this is a path to a more blessed life. We believe God is generous with generous people. We think that's why he's so generous. They give us an opportunity to be generous and to experience the joy of that. We don't believe that the blessings are always monetary because we genuinely believe that there are blessings from God that are far deeper, far richer than money. But we believe that we have an extravagantly generous God, a God who blesses us so we can bless others. And we believe that giving back generously is a trust catalyst. It's a step of faith. And when we take that step of faith, we discover how faithful our God is and life gets rich. So it's time to do it again. Same challenge, same double dog dare. Some of you guys have already done it. For that, we are just so grateful. I just can't tell you how grateful I am and how much I think God is smiling upon you. But there are others who didn't take the challenge, others who weren't here last year, and some who just need to reassess again. Some of you are Jesus followers, and you've never given God your first part back on any kind of a regular basis. It's time to get started. You need to choose a God-honoring number. I suggest you talk it over with him, and, and I suspect if you do, you'll probably feel some kind of a nudge. We're challenging you to choose a God-honoring number and commit to that number for 90 days, September, October, November. And if at the end of 90 days you think this test, this experiment was a mistake, we will give you your money back. Although you've got to tell us how much you're going to give and give it in a way that we can track it so it can be a, a fair thing. Others of you have given back to God from time to time, but some of you guys have been giving him your seconds and your leftovers. It's time for you to step it up. It's time to choose a God-honoring first part. And again, I just encourage you to talk it over with God and feel his nudge. Commit to that amount for 90 days, and if at the end of 90 days you think it was a mistake, we'll give you your money back. And some of you guys were like me last year. You do give your first part back to God regularly. Maybe this challenge is for you too. Maybe you're on cruise control. Maybe you give regularly but not particularly generously. Maybe you need to give at a level that you haven't given before. If you feel God's nudge, if you feel his nudge, go with it. Don't push back on God. And if at the end of 90 days you think it was a mistake, we'll give your money back too. Here's how it works. There were cards around you that looked something like this, same kind of card that we used last year, only we just changed the dates on it. You'll need to put your signature on it and the date on it and some kind of a notion on how much you're committing to give. We've got to be able to document that in order to provide you the safety net. The challenge is to try it out for September, October, November, and you're free to activate that safety net anytime you want in the month of December. Fill out the cards. If you want to drop in the offering boxes or just place them on the worship stations this morning, that's cool. If you need to take it home and pray with God about that, that's cool. Just bring it back over the next couple of weeks. We put our offering box right next to the Lord's table, right on the Lord's table, right next to the elements there. We do that on purpose. And there's some people who would wonder if it's sacrilegious to put money on a Lord's Supper table. It's worship, guys. This is part of our worship of God. We give our first part back to God as, a, as our recognition that he owns it all. 
and I'm trying to honor him with my first part. It's an act of worship. That's why it's there. That black box is where we give our first part back to God. If you're a part of this church family, that's where we regularly give our first part. Right behind it, there's a generous bucket because this, this church is just amazingly generous. It's amazing what we've been able to do with this generous bucket. People just drop in a dollar or two. We pull that money together. We've been able to bless so many people in this church family, so many people in our community, and so many people around our country. It's just been amazing what we've been able to do with our generous bucket money. It's incredible. And right next to it's that offering, or is that, is that tray, and it's got bread and juice in it. That bread and juice is what makes this all possible. Represents the death of Jesus Christ for us, his grace, the grace that God has shown to us. I mean, just the invitation to do life with God, for God, God's way is an incredible gift from our God. And that's where we recognize how, what made it possible. It's the death of Jesus Christ for us. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to invite you to this, these worship stations all the way around the room. We're going to sing a song first. Okay? During this time, just ponder. Spend some time with God. If he nudges you in some fashion, respond to it, please. Don't push back on God. And I'm going to be sitting down at the front here somewhere where I can find a spot. And if you want to talk to me or to one of our staff about becoming a Jesus follower, getting this life started with God, I'd love to talk to you. If you want to talk to one of us about making Capital City your home, I'd love to talk to you about that too. But before we do that, let's stand and sing together. Let's